Okay, so I've written a little pithy intro. Well, hello, I'd love to hear it. Should I? Should I get it? All right, ready? about making friends and navigating life in your 30s and we throw in a little bit of what we're reading listening and watching too for good measure i'm sasha a melbourne-based podcast producer originally from brisbane with a long detour via london and i'm joined by laurel laurel can you tell the people who you are i'm laurel <laughs> i am a journalist based in sydney from the uk originally via a detour living in brussels for like five years and here we Great. are. <laughs> and here we are. Um, yeah. Did you like that? Do I we need it. to redo you it? Know, we've been, I was told by <laughs> someone that we still are underselling ourselves and not giving enough information. If you need to know more about us, email us. We'll do. Oh my gosh. A more maybe full we can add. Ask us anything. Maybe we can add a fun fact about us every week. Oh, I like it into the intro. Yeah. Pressure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's do it. Cool. Okay. Um, we can, that can be homework. All right, Laurel, how are you? You've heard my lengthy story just off mic or pre-mic, I should say, about why my day's been terrible. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing how your day and your lockdown week has been. Oh, well, thanks for asking. I, I am well. I have been, I am actually deep in week two of what was originally meant to be a six-week court case that I'm reporting on at the moment. So uh, my days Mm -hmm. are quite long and quite uh, completely, I mean, we're all sort of screen-oriented at the moment, but I am sort of just looking at pictures of barristers talking to a judge and trying to make sure that they're not muted at the wrong time sort of thing at the moment. So it's quite Mm. um, a bit of a brain drain, but it is... I don't feel like that's the right use of the word, the phrase brain drain, but um, no, it's an intense period of work. But what I was going to say was last week, I feel like my days were incredibly long and I had that thing where you're never finishing before it gets dark and you feel like you've been robbed Mm. of that really beautiful post-work time of sunset when maybe you can get out and have a little break between work and your evening and especially in lockdown that's a really nice Mm. sort of switching off time but um yeah last night and this evening I think last night I went for a nice walk and I called a friend and that was really lovely and then this afternoon when I had finished work I just like sat in the garden for a little bit with my book as the sun was setting and that was quite lovely so yeah I'm I'm all right thank you that's so nice yeah, and have you had any points of social connection or friend making in the last couple of weeks? Yes, I have. And my kind of points of connection, I've been on two dates this week, like two walking dates um, with different people. Nice. <laughs> but because, but they're so lovely and chaste and like, you know, I feel like I'm in a, a Jane Austen novel, like, Taking a turn about the room. Literally taking a turn about the park because there's a really big park um, up the road just from where I live and it's quite a central place that lots of people can just do a lap of. And um, and I think we've entered... I do now have an image of you walking with a around parasol? with like a parasol. <laughs> and my petticoat and a lovely um, apron. 
Um, I don't know why I'm wearing an apron, but you know what? You, we're all seeing a little women-esque kind of image in our yeah, minds here. that's what we're yeah. imagining. Um, but, yeah, I think... Um, look, I can't say that I've met um, my Mr. Darcy or or anything that's closely <laughs> resembling it. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. I mean more in just like there hasn't been a massive spark, but um, it's just been really nice to get out and flex that social muscle again of like meeting someone mm. that you really don't know and practicing those small talk skills and kind of, you know, asking about people's interests and you end up on these like long and meandering conversations about things that you don't with your close friends because you kind of yeah you yeah you already know what your areas of interest are that are similar and that that's something I think that's really specific to dating that's really hard to replicate yeah that's so true your conversation is completely different even the opening conversation that you would have if you were meeting someone where 100% you know this is purely a platonic Mm -hmm. friendship even if it develops in that direction this is only social this is not romantic in any way your conversation is completely different even though this is one of the really peculiar phenomenons with online dating that the first time you are meeting someone it is also a date which has just never been a situation that we've experienced before the phenomenon of online mm-hmm. dating. And I guess it's funny that you're referencing like Mr. Darcy, because then <laughs> I feel like it's sort of, they are two ends of the spectrum though, aren't they? The sort of like Austin-like period of, will someone come to call? And if they do, then, you know, there's a room full of people chaperoning you. So you have this, again, very odd, sort of very weirdly formal conversation Um that it's unlike any other kind of conversation that you'd be able to be having at that period. It's a really funny two opposite ends of the spectrum. But this is also why I am always telling friends, and I'm a great believer of this myself, when I was online dating, if I were doing it again, that I think, unless they're really weird, and unless something (laughs) really awful happens, in which case use your judgment, I say everyone deserves at least two dates. Mm, I would normally I would usually agree with you oh were they that bad no no they're not that bad at all but I think um uh, I think that in a time where your social interactions are so are so limited um and you are really only allowed to go outside for exercise once a day I hear what um, you're saying it brings a new level of kind of um supply and demand Mm. I'm sacrificing catching up with a friend who lives around the corner to to go see someone else who I don't know and and it's not because these people aren't lovely it's actually more this like what's what do I have the energy for today what's going to fill my cup um and I think also like I I think we'll probably talk about this a lot as the podcast goes on but I've noticed a real shift in dating into my 30s than in my 20s because it's like everyone's had some life experience everyone's Mm -hmm. had their heart broken everyone's kind of had well hopefully had like a rich life that's had like a few different locations a few different kind of chapters in it um and so and everyone's kind of at this stage now where it's like 
I've got my friends. I've got my circle. I'm not here to beat around the bush. Um, I think with the added element of the pandemic too, there's like this honesty about what the last two years have been like. And I've just really mm-hmm. noticed that like more so than in my 20s where you'd be quite coy or quite um, kind of maybe play a bit more of a game about yeah. how you're feeling and not put your feelings out there too cleanly. I just think there's just like a new... I, f- I feel like there's a new branch of honesty in dating in my 30s that didn't exist um, in the last decade of my life. And and I just think it's going to be an interesting theme to kind of explore as as I foresee myself being single for the, for the um, immediate future to be extended. You know, I don't, I don't see myself like meeting someone in the next um, couple of months. So I think it'll just be a theme that continues on as I'm like dating again. So, yeah. This really reminds me of something our lady and saviour Dolly Alderton said once. <laughs> in a podcast which was um do you know what I reckon it was when she was doing sentimental garbage with um Mm. Caroline O'Donoghue and she was talking about how when you are dating in your 30s there is something about and I think it is dating in your 30s it isn't just online dating I think you know what I'm about to Mm. say which is that you're on beyond your first date you're already questioning is this someone I'm going to go to Bunnings if you're in Australia or home base if you're in the UK um with and pick out paint swatches Mm. and you're already like you you barely know anything about this person but you're already asking yourself all of those questions because you're thinking well because if they're not then this isn't worth my time (laughs) and I need to keep moving to Mm -hmm. keep finding Mm -hmm. that person if that's what I really want. And I definitely have friends who feel like, you know, this is a numbers game and I just need to approach this as such. And if this is not the right person, then I need to keep moving. Um, And I can completely understand that approach. And at the same time, the pressure that that approach comes with and that feeling comes with means that you also are both without an opportunity to just get to know each other as you would have done in your 20s or in your teens and I think that is a really unfair part Mm. of Mm. I don't want to say growing up and growing older but also just I think it's an exchange of having had all of those life experiences and knowing where you want to be and knowing where you are I think and Mm. um, you can either if you really are confident in that you can disengage from it completely and say this is going to go where it's going to go and I'm willing to just sit back and see high risk potentially high reward way to go Mm. but I would say high risk or if you are really sure of what you want you are probably more likely to approach it from the but can I see us picking out paint swatches and bunnings approach Mm. I think um I think that those are like such valid points I think that added element of like difficulty especially in a pandemic circumstance is that like I have met a couple of people where I've been like I'm not sure that there's something here for me but I could see us being really really Mm. good friends and I can see our interest being aligned and potentially 
you know, this could be a really great friend, um, a new friend circle mm. for me or a new group of people. Or like I could invite them to dinner and they'd get along really well with my existing group of friends. And I think just because of the nature of like how antisocial life has made us be at the moment. Yeah. I'm not having dinner parties. I'm not having friends around. I'm not having like a, a pub gathering for my birthday, which you can yes. say to someone you're casually dating or being on one or two dates with hey I'm not sure how where this is going but I think you'd really get along with my friends I I can see us being friends why don't you come along which is something I think I think now in my 30s I'd also feel really comfortable doing because there's only so many people in the world that you do feel Mm -hmm. like you really click with so um I yeah I think this is gonna be People are starting to fall into a weird like no man's land as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, and also you just can't um you you are limited. Like there are things like you can only have five people in your house. So mm-hmm. you're not gonna invite It's not gonna be someone that you Yeah, just <laughs> it's not gonna be you're not gonna have those kind of like parties or events where you you can kind of casually invite someone and there's no pressure. Mm-hmm. Um all of a sudden it becomes like you're inviting them to an intimate dinner party with you and your th- other three best friends. And so... Yeah, that's a whole other level of trying on someone that you're yeah. dating. Is, like throwing them into an intimate dinner with, with the three most important people <laughs> yeah. in my life. And here and you, you are. This is Ken. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean Paul, who I met uh, last Thursday. Don't worry about it. Don't and worry we've about only Andy. just Nothing had one turn about the park and we talked about, you know, something... <laughs> uh, our mutual love of female psychopaths. Like, you know, that's... That's um, basically the depth of conversation. But I do think, um, I th- yeah, so like I guess in, sum- in summary, um, I think it's going to be a recurring theme and I think um, there's lots to unpack in like this particular section. And I'm aware that you're not dating, so I feel like I'll be bringing this part of the conversation to the table. How about you? Also, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you? How's your trying to make a connection going? Try, sorry, that sounded so tragic. So, How are you like trying to build connections and build friendships in this time? Well, I was thinking this week about the fact that, um, so when we were going into lockdown in Sydney, I, <laughs> I pulled the panic button and said, I'm packing a bag and I'm coming to stay with you. And I haven't basically left my partner's place since. Um, But what that meant was that I reduced my... Because he lives more than the five kilometre radius and different LGA. And before those Mm. measures were completely in place as well. What that meant was that I really... Although I could be going back and forth to my place. Anyway, long story short, I decided not to do that. As a result, my five kilometre radius doesn't include 90% of the people that I know in Sydney. Mm. But it does include my friend, my dear friend, who I made when I did a writing course last year. So my like friendship tip for this week is twofold. It is one, to pursue a passion project mm. as a way to meet friends, to meet like-minded people because the chances are that if you're doing a class or something that you're about something that you're really interested in and really wanting to pursue, the chances are that you are going to meet other people there that you like because they already have, you already have something in common. 
which is a great starting point for conversation Mm -hmm. and friendship in general. So I met this lovely lady, lovely lady, this wonderful woman, I should say. I feel like lovely lady sounds like I'm taking a turn about the park with her. So um, (laughs) I met her at this one day writing course last year. And yeah, immediately I felt like we immediately clicked and I just really liked her, wanted to know more. Also, she hadn't long moved to Sydney. Her husband's Australian, but they had moved from the UK so she was also kind of interested in meeting people as well and it just and it just worked well and we and we clicked and then we also had this mutual interest of both wanting to write creatively um and working on that as an idea anyway so she is one person who lives within five kilometers of where I am she's also very heavily pregnant at the moment so (laughs) yes and her family is in a very different country very far away um I'm trying to like I'm like how much information can I give about this person without having checks (laughs) with them (laughs) but suffice to say that um her parents are not going to be able to to be here when she when she gives birth in just a few weeks time um they his family's here and she's very close to them but as a result we're both sort of I think pretty much the only other person's um friend Mm. in our five kilometer radius and so once a week we have been meeting up to go for a walk and I on Saturday we had arranged to go for a walk and I was feeling really low and really flat and it was gonna rain and I was just this close to cancelling and then she messaged me and she said that we could cancel or we could just chuck on our raincoats and go and I thought okay I'm gonna go Mm -hmm. and it just lifted me so much Mm. and I think especially to see I think I had really underestimated the power of seeing someone face to face, probably because I'm not on my own in my living environment, but I am not with anyone other than my partner. So to see someone socially and just natter for 30 minutes to an hour as we walked around a park, yeah, it just, it really lifted my spirit so much. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for when I can see more of my friends very soon. Oh, that's so nice. And that's, absolutely true I've done that I've really struggled to get out of the house this week and I've been meaning to every day to kind of be like no you're gonna go do a walk about the park and the few times I've done it Mm. really makes me feel a whole lot better all right what are we gonna what are we starting with reading watching listening let's go okay so I can tell you up front that my watching tip is very small my listening is going to be all sorts of all over the place and my reading is a bit alternative So whatever appeals out of all of that, we can start with. (gasps) Hmm. Let's go with watching because I think it's what I'm the most excited about. Okay, cool. Not to make it about me. No, no, no. Well, I've just finished my segment. So let's go with you. What, Sasha, have you been watching in the last couple of weeks? Oh, I'm so excited that you've asked, Laurel, because I'm I'm so excited about this. Um, The first episode of um, American Crime Story Impeachment dropped... La, like a couple of days ago have you watched any of the American Crime Story series so I haven't watched any of the series but it's funny <gasps> that you mentioned it because so you can get ready and just evangelize away at me because I have no idea what you're talking mm-hmm. about also um a really good <laughs> friend of mine who I exchange I'm not joking 20 minute long voice notes with on a weekly basis um was really mm. excited about the new series um dropping so uh, yeah I know I know other people who are equally excited about this tell me about this excellent Excellent. Okay, so um, American Crime Story, um, I think I'm getting the title right, but it's 
This is the third installment. So the first was the OJ crime retold. Mm. The second was the murder of um, Gianni Versace. Yes. And this one is about the impeachment of Bill Clinton, but from the perspective of the three women, Linda Tripp, Paula Jones, and Monica Lewinsky. Wow. Monica Lewinsky is an executive producer on the series, and I think it's produced by Ryan Murphy. The reason I'm so excited is because I listened to a podcast um, a couple of years ago now, the second series of Slow Burn, which I can see, yeah. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic podcast Absolutely, series. yes. And so listen. I know I am like kind of um, blurring the lines a little bit there by drawing in a listener um, recommendation, but that really, look, I think I was about seven or eight when the impeachment, no, I'm, I must have been, it was 98, so I must have been nine um when the impeachment happened and I you know that kind of vaguely you're starting to become aware of current events but you're not really absorbing everything Mm -hmm. and you're really aware that your parents have an opinion but they're kind of I I just really remember it as being one of those crucial like kind of turning points in my psyche as like a small child where I really didn't absorb much more than the emotion around it absolutely rather than the details um it was an era where we were all i think really absorbed with the uh bill clinton good guy narrative which i think we wouldn't have taken on board quite so easily if that had happened today Mm -hmm. and i think also like and i'm saying from my position grew up with a family that's nuclear my parents are still together there's never been any kind of like that's not been an experience that's touched Mm -hmm. my family Mm -hmm. um i think that that narrative another one of my favorite tv shows the good wife i think anything about the narrative of a marriage in the public eye that's having very real problems um there's a lot that people read into it without like people of all on the spectrum on the on the wide spectrum of life um people will have very very different opinions on hillary clinton bill clinton monica lewinsky um all of the perceptions so and feel really entitled to have those opinions as well in part because he is an elected official but when it's a famous person we all feel incredibly entitled to have an opinion exactly and i think also just like they become kind of i like icons for our Mm -hmm. association of the husband who cheats but the wife stands with them and you know the the affair at work and I think um what slow burn did for me was really open my eyes to the fact that Monica Lewinsky's never hidden away from the fact that she said it was consensual and Mm -hmm. she very much was in love with him and she very Mm much wanted to be in that relationship but her youth um which I think is something that you can only I know it sounds really cliche but I feel like it's only something that now in my 30s I can go oh my gosh like 21 you know the decisions that you make even though I'm not saying that I'd make a similar decision at 21 but Mm. um I just feel like the decisions that you do make and the way that your brain works and the way that the world exists to you Mm -hmm. um it's only just starting to open up you've only just left university the world seems so big and there's so many possibilities um and I just find it like such a fascinating thing that we all 
put such um we all bring such like listen to me right now I'm putting such identity on Monica Lewinsky and her experience of being 21 when I have no idea how she felt Mm -hmm. um but I just feel like it's just such aside from the fact that it's very very real people who experience this it's also like such rich drama yeah and so I feel very torn about it because I'm like they are real people and this is a real experience but at the same time like what an amazing like Shakespearean tale Mm. that um and also because of the because of the way it as a result of the way it played out in the national and international psyche it's just it is culturally such a significant moment. Not only is it a significant moment in your sort of political awakening or awakening of international events. I think the other thing is that, you know, our parents' generation always do that. Like, I'll always remember where I was when JFK was killed or um, someone landed on the moon. And I don't want to sound kind of like mm-hmm. negative about it because obviously I can't be like, oh, I always remember when I found out about like, Bill and Monica when I was seven but I think in like (laughs) it feels like a world event that happened over the space like it was so um vivid as a time in that period of my childhood yeah I couldn't tell you whether it unfolded over a month six months a year like it it just feels like an event you weren't quite aware enough to be like fully engaged obviously with what was happening to be aware of the time but I know what you mean it was it's like a sort of mood or a gloss on that period of how Mm. you're remembering it um and I think because as well because the Bill Clinton presidency was a real um cultural turning point Mm -hmm. and I think it like that so influenced what politics and the international zeitgeist if you will sort of looked like at that at that moment and I think that's maybe is why even as a child we were aware of Mm-hmm. of that and the perceived huge threat or disruption to that in the form of this 21 year old woman who and I think it's really interesting what you were saying about what she said about it as well is it was consensual and and you know I was in love with him but she's also through and there was a period where she was so vehement in that and then I think in the post peak me too moment mm-hmm. of sort of 2018 was it 2016 or 2018? 2016, I think, wasn't it? That um, she has sort of looked back on it and seen that there was a there was obviously a power power imbalance in, in play, and and more just the power dynamics at, at play of that. And I think that does feature in in that slow burn podcast series, which is yeah, it is really really good. Yeah, which is fantastic. So I think what I'm gonna find really interesting about this series and I can't really say much more than I've just seen the first episode is that it also looks through the lens of Linda Tripp um who I really didn't know much about but I feel Mm. like you're going to get a real sense of her kind of representation of the old guard of Washington um and like and what you were talking about, Bill Clinton being like a shift in modern politics. Yeah. And then also Paula Jones, who I feel like under the Me Too lens really represents that voice and mm-hmm. probably at the time was, you know, two generation or two decades before um, 
really the time that we were ready to hear those kind of stories. So um, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. And I think that it's just a really thought provoking, a really thought provoking time in history. And I always get a lot out of like reading that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm excited Who to watch it. Who is Sarah Paulson playing in it? Because she's Linda been Tripp. in the other series as well, hasn't she? Yeah, she was in the OJ yeah. series. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's playing Linda Tripp and she um, has like a, a prosthetic nose. She look, Yeah, she looks fantastic. And Beanie, oh, I can't say her last name, but who's Jonah Hill's little sister Feldstein? apparently. Feldstein or Fieldstein? Feldstein or Fieldstein. Yeah, Beanie Feldstein plays um, Monica Lewinsky. Um, what are you watching? Because I've just waxed lyrical for a good 15 minutes there. <laughs> I am watching a series which I, it was sort of coming into the periphery of my, you know, the sidebar of my Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. It was being featured on uh, one of my all time favorite podcasts, which I will definitely be, rec- be recommending in a future episode, no doubt about it. And so it got to the point where I thought, well, if they're recommending it, I've I've got to watch it. I mean, Mm. there's no choice now. Um, Which is funny that I say that because when we get to reading, I've got something to say about being a bit of a refusenik generally, culturally. Um, But anyway, the TV series that I have started watching and indeed nearly finished because the episodes are only 30 minutes long is The Chair, (gasps) which is a new Netflix series um, starring Sandra Oh. Have you watched it? I've watched two episodes and I've okay. got to say like I just don't think I enjoyed it but I wasn't in the right headspace at the time but I'm gonna go back to it yeah so I watched I really enjoyed the first episode and then the second episode I thought oh this doesn't feel as strong and then it started to pick up again and I've just watched the fifth episode just while um just before we we, we mm. came came to be speaking and came to be speaking now before you called me and I I was quite moved and so what started is something that was sort of very funny and I love a campus narrative it's set in an English department at a university I studied English literature so I love that um I love the depiction of the older professors who Sandra Oh is basically playing the new chair of the English department and she's the first I think she's the first female chair and she's the first female chair of colour as well I'm pretty sure she's the first female chair of the department so it's a historical thing and then on her first date she's basically handed this list of the three probably oldest um, professors in the department and they have almost no people enrolling in their classes and she's basically being told find a way to sort of get rid of them or make this work and I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that. Um, and the sort of the chaos of the English literature, of the English department, the chaos of a department struggling to make itself relevant um, in a world where, and a social and educational environment where the humanities are just not really valued in the same way or, or seen in the same way as um, the sciences. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny, but it's on point. There's also the generational um, shifts and tensions between sort of social justice warrior um, university students and then the sort of Gen Xs as well as much older generations. And yeah, no, it's, it's really good. I'm, I've, re- I've really enjoyed it. And I think the fact that 
I feel like each episode could easily be made into an hour and I really respect the fact that they've kept it to 30 minutes while my attention span is not as it was. There's really something to be said for artful restraint, which I hope that we're trying to demonstrate because we just chatted for so long. (laughs) I'm going to fly into my reading recommendation then. I made a pact that I'm not allowed to buy any new books until I've read all the books that I have. Because I have a lot of books, Laurel, that I've never read. Because I go to a bookshop and I go, oh, I know that I'm supposed to, I want to read that. Or I know that this, or I get put into lockdown and I go, I'll just give myself a cheeky, I'll just do a cheeky online purchase to make myself feel better. Support local businesses. um, I know. So I've decided to go. (laughs) I'm supporting my local bookshop. It's fine. (laughs) So I've got two biographies that I'm halfway through that I was halfway through like a year ago and I just put them down when I was moving and I didn't pick them back up and I've made the commitment to finish one of them and it's The Vanity Fair Diaries by Tina Brown. (gasps) I love this idea. I think this is one of those books that's been sitting on my to-be-read list for probably at least two years. Mm -hmm. And I'm really enjoying it because I'm going to be honest, I'm finding reading really difficult at the moment. Mm-hmm. it's super short um like it's it's a reasonable length of a book but um because it's a it's genuine diaries they're diaries that she kept first of all I cannot understand how she managed to edit a magazine and then come home and write like eloquent thoughtful diary entries on a semi-regular basis she doesn't write them every day but like regularly enough that it puts the modern working woman to shame although is it quite literally her diaries then yeah it's quite literally um published verbatim um it's really juicy because she writes a lot about um there's some segments about boris johnson when she's in the uk there's some segments about donald trump um and this is all 80s 85 through to yeah it's a very specific era of magazines as well exactly um there's a bit about Anna Wintour like coming back at the beginning of her kind of vogue reign um Mm. but what I really love about it and I guess that this is kind of speaking to my professional day job is her kind of illustration and she really talks about what an editor is and like what her role is as an editor and it's all about this you can you can tell why she was a fabulous editor because Mm. she's very big picture she's very good at reading the tea leaves so to speak and kind of like knowing what's hot like coming up what's fashionable what's um who the writers are she had a real eye or and I mean like maybe I wasn't at the time and I wasn't a Vanity Fair reader at the time so maybe (laughs) I'm just um regurgitating what she's kind of presented to me but I just think like as you know someone who's working on podcasting which I guess could be seen as the modern magazine in the sense that it's like there's a lot of people working in the industry there's a lot of people trying to make waves there's a lot of people trying to get a land grab um Mm. it really is about having that point of difference having something different to say having 
um, a lens and having an identity and and she really articulates in it really well about what that involves and what her kind of particular take on it was so I'm finding it like quite a um, yeah quite a good book to read professionally it's giving you lots of things because it's giving you professional insights giving you a bit of juicy gossip from a completely different era which I love and she's like a woman at the top of or at that point as well like at the top of her profession I mean there's and I don't want this to sound disparaging and I mean who you know Tina Brown's not gonna listen to this but um there's (laughs) There's some stuff in it that's highly unrelatable in that she lived, I'm fairly certain, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. Um, I, I can't, you know, I was in London last year. I can't remember the suburbs. I'm just behind the Tate Britain. I um, love that you're asking me because I've never lived in London and I oh, feel like I have no knowledge of London suburbs either. Even though um, I'm obviously from the UK. Yeah, she <laughs> lived in the suburb where the Tate Britain is, which is really fancy. And <laughs> she married the editor of the Times magazine, who was ousted quite nastily by Rupert Murdoch. But, you know, she definitely moved in a circle. And and this is all at like 28. You know, when you kind of go, okay, well, and so at the section... How are you doing this, Tina? Yeah, the section at the book I'm in at the moment, she's been editing Vanity Fair for four years and she's 35 and she has a three-year-old. And I was like, "Ah, okay, great. I've got (laughs) not much time to get moving. (laughs) But... (laughs) um, But, you know, I do think, like, it's a different... um, time oh and there's lots of Nora Ephron references and I uh, like mentions in there as well and I love Nora we're so always here for Nora Ephron mentions yeah how about you what are you reading well I feel like before I get into my specific reading recommendation I really want to acknowledge how September is as much as in film we start to now see the movies making their way through cinemas that we'll probably see nominated for Oscars and big awards early next year September is a really big month for new books and there are a lot of very exciting books being published this month and also um, yesterday we saw the, so yesterday as we're recording at the moment, um, we saw the Women's Prize for Fiction um, be announced and so the winner of that is Piranesi by uh, Susanna Clarke which I haven't read but I think my book club will be reading so I'm really excited about mm-hmm. reading that and also yesterday was what I am now dubbing the millennial woman's Harry Potter release in <gasps> Sally, Rooney. Sally Rooney's <laughs> new book came out <laughs> there were pictures all over my social media of uh, feeds of cues of millennial women um queuing up to get into bookshops to get their copies and I thought I haven't seen this since Harry Potter came out the Harry Potter books coming out and do you know what I haven't pre-ordered a book I don't think and I have to say I haven't I haven't pre-ordered um Beautiful World Where Are You I haven't pre-ordered a book since or I think the only time I've done it was the last Harry Potter book it's just not a thing I'm into and I don't know whether it's because I am this is where I was going to talk about being a bit of a cultural refusenik where if everyone's like I've got to get it 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 I'm just sort of it's very rare for a book that I Mm. 
want to jump on it immediately. I do really want to read it and I will look forward to reading it. But I think part of it is a rejection in my mind of the um, the influence that pre- pre-ordering has on the success of a book now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean... I'm sure it is an inc- it's going to be an incredible book and I can't wait to read it when I eventually do, which will probably be in like a year or two <laughs> by the time I get round to it. But it the hype is f- phenomenal. I'm not surprised she's on no social media because I could not cope with I, that level of pressure. I find Sally Rooney, I'm, I've got her conversations with friends above me. I find my opinion on her really fluctuates from day to day mm. so i think we can have yeah. a really long conversation about that maybe when one of us reads, and when we yeah, read reads the book because <laughs> i do feel okay, like she my... is a marketing darling <laughs> like she's very talented but there's a certain so talented there's a certain kind of um hype that has attached itself where it starts to yeah. become really hard to separate the talent from the marketing and I, I don't mean that as yeah. a criticism of her talent and there's an idea of female millennial fiction that I think is now almost built around her style her particular style mm-hmm. of writing and it is a selling point when you go into a book and you see booksellers have labeled or even the publishers themselves have put it on the jacket of a book as if you loved Sally Rooney you'll like this and then I think my god I wouldn't want to be the author who has that on my book because mm-hmm. I'm also automatically thinking as I pick up that book, like, yeah, right. That's so <laughs> like, yeah, true. Yeah, right, you're going to be as good as this person. And I saw that on a book. And then I do think it coloured, it was a book that we were doing again for book club. And I think I did think to myself, as I was going in, I was just like, yeah, right, this isn't, mm-hmm. this is never going to be, you can't, you, you're not her. So why are you trying to do the same thing? Anyway, mm. yes. I, I look forward to okay. discussing it. I okay. just, I was just so overwhelmed with the hype of it yesterday that I really wanted to just just throw that out there but Mm. my reader recommendation for this week is an article that I actually read a while ago Mm -hmm. but um it is to do with the pandemic and lockdown and I just thought that while we were talking about that quite a bit last time that we recorded it was really going in my going around in my mind and I've been thinking a lot about um routine Mm -hmm. because I think when we are in a period of lockdown health professionals advise us that if you don't normally have a daily routine it's a really good idea to pick one up but if you did have one and I am someone who can be quite restricted by my experience of my routine um Pandora Sykes wrote this really good our beloved, our lady. I know, our I was going to say our other lady and savior. Our two leaders Pandora of our Sykes. church, Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton. <laughs> Dolly Alderton. <laughs> so she wrote a We Present article. So We Transfer has a We Present yes, they segment do. to the website. Yes. yes. And she wrote an article for We Present called, well, if you, it's kind of unclear when you're on the website what the title of it is, but if you're Googling it, the Google result is Pandora Sykes on consciously uncoupling from routine, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful Gwyneth and Chris Martin associated phrase. <laughs> and basically she talks about, and I really connected with this, this idea of um, your routine becoming quite suffocating and and sort of th- not throwing off completely, but trying to find a routine that works for you rather than against you in moments of pressure and stress and what I've realized is my routine in the pandemic tends to be one that sort of is punctuation Mm -hmm. marks in my day rather than structure to my day um and 
yeah, it's driven by sort of checking in with how you feel and what you want to do rather than if I don't do this, then everything else is going to be thrown out of the window and into chaos. So I just wanted to actually read a little bit of that because I think she puts it really, really beautifully. And I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs from the article. So this is her and it's Pandora Sykes on consciously uncoupling from routine. And she says, my primary ambition was to stop looking ahead. I wanted to stop using routine as a way of living in the future and instead embrace and confront the right now. Living in the future is a consolation. It promises hope and excitement, a chance to do things differently, but it's also a cop-out from the present. It allows you to avoid what is going on right in front of your eyes and, in work terms, to fast forward over the process. This began to feel dense. The process, mockable as the language is, is arguably the best bit of any creative project. I decided to approach each day as its own singular thing, rather than the next one in a series. Previously, I had assigned certain days to certain activities, admin on Monday, meetings in the middle of the week, and kept my evenings studiously free because I knew I was often tired. Paradoxically, the evenings are when I feel most creative. And so I began to allow my workday to bend and flex around my emotions, as much as you can when you have children, rather than the common idea of a workday. And she goes on, and the concluding point of this section is her saying that there were concrete things that I could do and did, but generally I approached the throwing off of routine as more of a feeling than an act. I imagined my mind and my day as a balloon, not fixed, but free-floating. I should clarify now that I did not seek a wholesale rejection of routine in its entirety that would never work with two small children who need to be washed and fed at roughly the same time each day, but rather, as the tech wellness gurus called it, to disrupt my obsession with my own tightly wound one. And I just, it, it's, I, I read that months ago and I'm still thinking about it. Oh, I really, I think, um, I mean, there's so much we could unpack. Maybe this podcast is yeah. just going to turn into like Laurel and Sasha's <laughs> opinion on the world. But um, <laughs> I'm someone who is very chaotic and very um, freewheeling and like my, and I find a routine incredibly positive, mm. but very hard to implement. And so I do my best work when I have an external structure implementing a routine on me, whether that be a workplace or it's why I did really well at school because it was like, I just turned up, I wore a uniform, I was supposed to be yeah. somewhere on my own time and I find it incredibly hard to implement my own routine but I have also found that it's been in a lot of um advice columns lately for people to cope with quarantine is just to implement like a small corner of your day not the full day but like whether it be the morning like you wake up you make a coffee you have a shower you get dressed like mm. just a small set of activities that are directly linked to each other and so mine has been yeah setting an alarm um following a really strict little corner of my morning and that kind of helps me you know get out of bed <laughs> and get going <laughs> no mm. i really i really I really hear what you're saying and I think I feel like it's very easy for me to fall into almost an opposite end of that Mm. spectrum I think whereby I have a routine I find a routine that works for me but then the idea of changing it can be overwhelming Mm -hmm. um and um quite nerve-wracking but what I'm learning to do more and more 
not only as I get older, but sometimes I think also partly because of um, the pandemic and how that's disrupted everything and how we approach our days is that I've had to follow a sense of not only do I think what, what like what needs doing, but what do I want to do? And they're two, sometimes they're the same thing, or even it's just the fact that, okay, in the morning I have this amount of time before I work and that is mine to do with it what I want rather than thinking that every morning I have to do a certain thing otherwise in a certain order otherwise I'm not going to be set up for my day which is sometimes how I feel but yeah yeah that it's a yeah it's a really interesting idea the sort of relationship with with routine and I yeah as I say that this article is just really stuck with me Oh, I can't wait to read it. I will be obviously linking it in the show notes. But um, what have you been listening to? Oh, this is actually my shortest and um, less least least thought through recommendation. <laughs> and that is that I've hit a real listening slump. I think because I do it professionally. Yes, um, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> not to, I listen professionally. <laughs> um, but I... I do find that often the nuts and bolts and kind of mechanics of a podcast will put me off it before it happens, Mm -hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Like I I have less patience for trying something new. That being said, um, I listened to the Sentimental Sentimental Garbage podcast when they did the Sex in the City special and I kind of thought that I wouldn't revisit it after that because I thought that was like quite a little a perfect little caption for me and I didn't yeah and I didn't really understand the concept of the podcast outside of that okay um but this week I tried listening to Sentimental Garbage the episode that's come out recently on RuPaul's Drag Race of which I am a massive fan. This is so funny because um, that's the one episode of the three that have come out that I haven't listened to because I have never <laughs> watched RuPaul's Drag Race. So go for <laughs> go for the RuPaul's Drag Race episode. Excellent. And well, I was just going to say it was a day that I think I was feeling a little low in, um, you know, just sometimes your days become really monotonous mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the TV at the moment I've been watching is like a little bit depressing, a bit dark. Like I've been watching that Nine Perfect Strangers and, you know, just a few things that I've kind of been going, oh, I just want something light. And I put this on as I was doing my evening routine to go to bed and I was listening and it's just, I can't remember the guest's name and Caroline just has most delightful accent um (laughs) and they were just it was just a full episode of them just waxing lyrical about how much they love RuPaul's Drag Race and what it has done for their self-confidence and identity as women and just how the art of drag has really shaped their way about like thinking about their own femininity and also they didn't really shy away from the conversations about drag that are problematic but they also just talked about the way that the show has changed over the years and I just like I was just listening to it thinking this is it it felt it is such a fun listen as a, yeah it just felt like it what I, when a podcast is at its best I think it's like you've outsourced a conversation with your girlfriends like you don't have to put any emotional energy into actually following a train of thought or coming up with something pithy or witty to say. 
you've got a little set of speakers (laughs) in your ears that are telling you. And so I felt like it really hit a home run for me this week on on exactly what I needed, which was a little pick me up. So yeah, that's my recommendation. heartily endorse the first and third episodes of this series so far as well so when you're ready for your next bit of uh pithy chat in your earbuds um you've got an episode on red carpet culture which is incredible (laughs) and an episode on the film mamma mia which is also fantastic okay and i think what's great about that podcast is the wholehearted the whole point is to have a conversation between two people who are just really unabashedly into something that is not critically acclaimed and for whatever reason but is really good and really fun and just good for the soul and as a result the podcast is good for the soul because it's two people talking passionately and excitedly and with fun and laughter about something that they're they really into yeah, and I just think that Caroline and her and Dolly did this so well with um, mm. their series on Sex and the City. But actually, the more I listen, because obviously I, f- I went to that out of my love for Dolly. And and when I first listened, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to like Caroline. Like, I'm used to Pandora. I'm not sure whether Caroline's going to be my cup of tea. And what I loved is that she is really good at that um, raw vulnerability on mic thing like I really feel like I have a very clear sense of of her as a person and like I have a really close relationship with her which is which is totally false because you know obviously she doesn't know who I am but I just thought it was she has um such a way of being really vulnerable um but also really you know sentimental garbage as the name says like it also takes a lot of confidence to be unabashedly into something in a really uncool way yeah there's something that like you know at Mm. 13 when you're enthusiastic about barbies and someone like you know you you get taught that it's not cool anymore and you should really tone it down and i just love that she kind of lives that um like adult version of enthusiasm of not turning it down yeah it's just great I think that's a really good summation of why that why she's so good and that's it's funny because I have just I was just thinking about it in the most recent episode on Mamma Mia because at the beginning she's you know chortling and laughing with so much enthusiasm with the guest and then by the end and she says up front she's like we're going to get to a point where we're going to talk about something that really made me cry in the movie and then she gets to it and she does and and there are lots of ways in which that could play out and it would be quite cringeworthy. I don't know why and it just wouldn't work. And for some reason, and I also don't really know why, And but it's so authentic. And as you say, it is vulnerable to be that enthusiastic about something that isn't quote unquote cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know why it works, but she is, she's very, very good. Mm. She's, she's very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah. We could keep talking about this for ages. We'll have to find another episode to recommend at some future time so we can talk more about our love of Caroline too. Um, What are you listening to? What's your recommendation? I have just pulled down my notes in front of me because I'm ready to go on listening, Sasha. You are so ready. So I had originally written, I'm just going to show to the camera the page that I had originally written on listening. (gasps) Right. 
And then it was getting too chaotic because there were just too many things going around in my head. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, I am just going to read you a list of things. And then if something jumps out and you're like, I want to hear more about that, I'm going to tell you more about it. Okay, are you going to tell me what the name of it is first or do I have to guess? I'll tell you a little bit about it as I go so it doesn't sound completely random. But I also want to say that I went and listened to um, a couple of episodes of the Bad Blood podcast (gasps) that you were recommending and I've been really enjoying it and I... (laughs) Yeah, have a lot of thought, have a lot of thoughts about that as well. That if we hadn't been gabbing on so much at the beginning, I might have um, said more about. But yes, mm-hmm. okay. So we've got some nostalgic listening in the fact that I've been really enjoying. So I was saying that I'm covering this court case, and at mm-hmm. the end of every day, I have to do quite a quick story turnaround to summarize mm-hmm. everything that I've listened to. And for that, I need something that I can tap away to, but also not be too involved in the listening of so I've been really enjoying sort of fast-paced classical piano music for which the metamorphosis was a fantastic recommendation by the way from a couple of weeks ago but I've also been really enjoying listening to really old Fred Astaire music and Nat King Cole just like some really old school music going on in the background oh it's really relaxing and just listening to those really old time voices is quite delightful um still on music choices i would say a slightly alternative recommendation i'm wondering whether you've heard of the music of a person called beverly glenn copeland Mm -hmm. no 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 so they made a lot of music in i think the 70s and 80s and then sort of weren't having a lot of success But because of younger musicians finding their music, they have been sort of rediscovered and shoved into the limelight. And a collection of their work was published, was published, was released Mm -hmm. last year. Um, And it's even on Spotify, it's basically described as being hard to define. So there's no real genre ascribed to their music, but it's sort of a mixture of gospel and jazz and classical music and I really love um running to some of it and it's just it's quite ethereal okay um you've intrigued yeah I'm definitely gonna listen to this it's really hard to describe Spotify isn't wrong it's hard to describe have you heard of Tom Mish no he's released a new lockdown album anyway more about it that sent me off on a sort of jazz hip-hop um sort of chilled out hip-hop if that's okay a, is that a thing like chilled out so. hip-hop rap jazz yeah does that I mean, make sense again can intrigued. you imagine what i'm just can you imagine what i'm listening to if i, I say can that? but i also feel like the reality is going to be quite different to what's running through my head sure, at the moment sure yeah sure well anyway tomish <laughs> his voice is fit is all i'm gonna say and then <laughs> and it's just delightful listening and then i would say I was enjoying a classic Desert Island classic Desert Island Discs episode, which was their Desert Island Discs episode with Lauren Bacall, which was Chef's Kiss Good. I think in part because she is such an icon of a golden Hollywood era. She's also the first person, the first famous person I remember being so in awe of that I, I, I just didn't know what to do when I came across her the first time. And, I'm, and I still am sort of transfixed by her as a person. Wow. I don't know why. She just, I, That's I just, so yeah. interesting. And we can definitely unpack that in the future. Because, yeah. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might just leave it there. Lots of weird, lot lots of, of different um, music recommendations and a podcast. I had like two other podcasts that I was going to mention, but I think I'll just leave it there. You're going to keep them in your back pocket for a future week when you're when you're short on a recommendation. Or you're two. so sure that I'm going to get short of stuff. You said that last week, and I, I do. I've got lists <laughs> for days, Sasha. Maybe I think I'm just projecting my own worst fears, <laughs> which is that one day I get to the end of my content bucket and I'm like, what's left? What else is there? Because I am my recommendations. I'm, but I it's, think yeah, it was oh, a sorry. whistle. Sorry, no, I was just going to say it was a bit of a whistle stop, but I will pick maybe two or three of my two of my favorites when we actually do our little roundup on social media and for the and for the oh, show no, notes. I could put them all there. Put them all there. <laughs> put them all there. Celebrate it. Here we are at the end of episode three. Fantastic. Well, two, another two weeks and then and we've got plenty of homework to do. Yeah, and please um, get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at threewheelingpod. And we can send us an email at threewheelingpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.